0: On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to be talking about these protests, not about the protest themselves, not about the meaning behind them, but are we expecting now a giant surge of COVID because of all these people who are now all in very close quarters? And if that doesn't happen in the next 14 days or so, what does it mean about what we've been told about this and what does it mean about where we should be going from here? If there is not a huge surge, Is it time to get back to normal? We're also gonna be chatting about defunding the police, which some people are suggesting as a thing. Really, is that a good idea? Really? And then Don Robertson joins us to talk about a variety of things going on in the world of sports from wives getting their husbands in trouble. There's one of those where a athlete's wife tweeted stuff and the husband was let go from his team. Uh, And why do we do the national anthem still before sports events? All that's coming up, stay with us.
1: Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML.
0: Let me ask you a question. Um, And you may have thought this question already. This may have been something that dawned on you. And you have discussed this with friends or family or whomever you've been discussing with. Do you believe that in the next couple of weeks that we in Canada and across the states are going to see a massive, massive, massive increase in the number of COVID cases that show up in hospitals? do you because the reason i asked the question is pretty obvious we have seen these enormous protests and this this discussion is not a referendum on the protests or the reason for the protests you can you can be out there legitimately we talked about this last week you can be out there legitimately protesting because you truly believe in the cause there's also people who are out there just because they're giant idiots who see an opportunity to smash stuff and set things on fire but you can be out there with very honest, legitimate belief that you are doing something positive. But what we have been told, even if you do believe that you're out there for a legitimate good reason. There's lots of people in the last number of months since we have been told to go into self-quarantine that may have had reason to go outside for legitimate good reasons. Their company business may have been failing now because they can't have someone there and had to shut it down. They may have wanted to go see a loved one who was dying in hospital. They may have wanted to go to a funeral. They may have wanted to go to a wedding or hold a wedding. There's lots of reasons why you could have legitimate, good, important things besides just, I have to get together with my buddies and have a beer drinking fiesta. All right. That like there are, there are things that you can point to and say, yeah, there are important things that have happened in life. And and let, let me use that one example above all else. You have a sick family member who's in hospital that you can't visit or is dying or is on their deathbed and you can't visit them. And we've decided the country has said the the leaders of the country and the provinces have said, no, no, public health trumps all else. So we're putting in rules that say, if you go in the wrong places, we will fine you. We will have people give you a fine. You cannot do this. You can't, you, you have to be at home self quarantining. And now we have these protests and again, whether or not you think that the protests are warranted or whatever you think about it is is it's not relevant to this part of the discussion if only because i don't believe that the virus that if it's if it's as described that the virus looks at people who are doing something stupid and just hanging out with their buddies because they want to get loaded and says, oh, there's a bunch of idiots. I'm going to give them, I'm going to jump on them and make them sick. But these people who are protesting something that they believe strongly in that may make the world better, well, we're going to pass. We we won't infect them. I I don't believe that's how the virus works. It's either a virus that's highly contagious and highly devastating or it's not. But here's the, here's the point that I get back to. Are we going to see a massive, massive increase in the number of COVID cases in the next couple of weeks? Because, again, if what we have been told for the last number of months, the thing that has shut down our economy, that the country has paid something like $300 billion, or at least will have by the time we expect this is going to be done, if, the, if this is what has been described to us that has devastated the economy, that has stopped the world, we should be seeing, unfortunately, a mass glut of people becoming ill. Now, I'm not rooting for that. I am not cheering for that. I don't want that to be misunderstood. I'm not suddenly saying, hey, yeah, great, let's have thousands of people get sick. Not at all. But my question as I'm watching this is thinking, okay, what happens if we don't? What happens after all this? And you've seen the pictures now of the protests. You've seen the pictures. You've seen the videos. You've seen the coverage today down in Los Angeles, there were tens of thousands on Hollywood Boulevard, probably a hundred across shoulder to shoulder back to front, like one person's back touching the next person's front. I mean, there was no room in there between people. There was no social distancing. It was exactly a picture of what we were told is going to be the cause of this. We can't go to a sporting event because you can't sit in the stands. You can't have concerts because you can't be close to people. Here is everybody jammed together in an exact picture of what is going to lead to this being spread. And again, I'm not rooting for it to be spread and I understand the reasons for the protests. But if. The very image of what we've been told is going to be the cause of a way, a second wave, a first wave, a giant wave, whatever, if that doesn't happen, what does that mean? What do we do with that? What, what do we do with that? If we do not see a massive influx, I mean, if we do see a massive influx, it, we look and we say, you know what, uh, sadly, uh, some issues may be important, but they don't resonate with a virus. The virus doesn't care. The virus goes where the virus goes, but if it doesn't, what does that mean?
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML. We're
0: talking about the conundrum that we face right now. And I think it is a legitimate conundrum. And that is we have people who many people who legitimately feel like they should be protesting or out marching for black rights. And yet we also have this virus going on. And and I don't believe that the virus picks and chooses based on intent or anything else. I don't think it looks and says to people, even if we believe, hey, you're doing something that you should be doing. I don't think the virus says, yeah, you know what? I, I, I support your cause. Therefore, I'm going to miss you. I'm going to skip over you and only go on the people who are being idiots. I, I sadly, I wish that's how it worked. I don't think that's how it worked. So we've now seen huge protests. And in some cases, riots, but huge protests around North America and some places around the world at a time when we're still being told you have to be inside, you have to be self-quarantined. It's not safe to be outside, which can only lead to the belief that we must be preparing for massive second wave situations here where many, 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 many people are going to suddenly come down with COVID. And as I said last segment, I'm not hoping for that. I'm not rooting for that. The flip side though, is if that doesn't happen, what does that say about what we're doing and what we've done? Because Canada alone is closing in on having spent gone $300 billion into deficit. People's jobs are gone. Unemployment is at the highest it's been in ages. People's businesses are shutting down. We have gone into a full scale economic crisis. To say, everything's got to shut down because we can't be out and about during COVID. But if we don't suddenly have a massive influx of cases, what is it saying about the decisions we've made to do that and what we're still doing? I mean, here in Hamilton, we're not going to be part of the phase two of the provincial opening yet because we still have cases going on. What does that mean then? Why? If we don't, and we may, and and we may, which will be sad, but if we don't see a huge influx in COVID cases, does that mean that we immediately should say, screw this? We're done with the leaders telling us stuff. We're out the door. I think that would be a shame because not only are we talking about political leaders who we can be suspicious about and cynical about, but we've got medical leaders and everyone else who have told us this stuff. I don't think we want to get to the point where we now don't believe anything they say, but. what's the alternative? And then, and then we have, you know, I I find this hard. We have the prime minister who decides to go out after preaching at us for months and telling us not to do anything. We're not past this yet, blah, blah, blah. And he goes out, no social distancing. Yes. He was wearing a mask, but goes out into this protest. And now how, Assuming that we assume the Prime Minister has information that we don't have, that he's given intelligence and things like that. Well, if he can go out into this, why are people's businesses still closed? If I wear a mask, why could I not open my business again? If I wear a mask, why can I not go watch a Thai cat game at the field if they can play? If he can go out in this and wear a mask, why can I not go to a restaurant? Right? we're, we're Mixed messages all over the place. And I know that he may argue that... Social causes are important. That's, But again, I go back to my point. I don't believe the virus picks and chooses. You either have to preach that we're still in this pandemic or we're not in the pandemic. Break it right down. It's either a pandemic or it's not a pandemic. And we're getting such mixed messages right now from the people that we are listening to or being told to listen to for instruction. I mean, how can can we in Hamilton still be being told a group of five people Of of more than five people is unacceptable and if you go to a park or you go somewhere else on a path you can be fined and yet we have people in leadership positions saying yeah but I'm gonna go to a giant protest because that's important well you know what not mine personally but I'm using the example my dying parent my dying husband spouse whatever they're pretty important why can't I go visit them then on their deathbed well you're not allowed to do that why why can, if, if it's okay to go out into a protest wearing a mask because it's really important, why could the prime minister and all the other members of the house of commons not wear a mask and go in and do their proper work in the house of commons in those standard of democracy and government that we have had as a country? Why is it not okay now to be in the house of commons doing the work they're supposed to be doing? Wh- wh- why not? I mean, that's important too, isn't it? Why? Again, I go back to my point. Why are people still being fined if they're out in the wrong place? What, where's the fairness in that? Where's the, if, if it's safe, if, if it's okay to go to a rally to go, for the prime minister to go to a protest and be around other people, why should other people not be able to do stuff? Why were the people who were at Trinity Bellwoods Park shredded the other day as being a public health nuisance? the prime minister and other people, and again, I understand what the protests are. That's not the issue. That's not the issue. The issue is we either either are in a pandemic that we have to still ride out or we're not. And we're going to see, because if we get to the point in a few weeks, because this is supposed to be a, you know, 14 days, you quarantine yourself, although that's another one. I haven't heard anybody from Teresa Tam on down say, you know what, if you went to one of these protests, you must be now in a 14 day quarantine. I've not heard that yet. But if... If we're still in a pandemic and the virus is still out there and we've shut the entire country down, why did we do it? And why are we still doing it?
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Let's jump from one hot button issue to another, shall we? And I want to hear from you on this one, 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Keep those numbers handy because in the last number of days, in light of what has led to those protests that we are talking about, a different issue, we are now hearing a phrase that has popped up and seems somehow against all, in my mind, against all logic and common sense, but whatever seems to be gaining some sort of traction here and that is hey let's defund the police let's defund the police that would be fun right let's defund the police and what we want to do then is take all the jobs that the police do and give them to other people social workers and community helpers and other things in minneapolis they here's a um uh, the, the minneapolis paper talks about how this is the beginning of the process of putting together a quote police free future by investing in more community initiatives like mental health and having community members respond to public safety issues now perhaps i'm not living in the same unicorn filled rainbow spattled world where lollipops fall out of the sky and you're going to have just members of the community go around, you know, there's a domestic assault going on. We'll send someone in and, and they'll just have a chat and they'll, they'll get people to stop. Or maybe because there's no police, domestic violence won't occur anymore. Maybe, maybe that will happen. Or, you know, if there is a civic uprising or a riot, we won't have police. We'll have a team of social workers march out in the middle of the street and try and talk people down from stopping throwing bricks through windows or on and on and on. And, and I understand that some people, when they talk about defund police are saying this, which is the extreme end, other people are saying, no, let's just take a chunk, 10%, 20% of the police budget and put it towards other things. Well, you know what? That's um that's a discussion that perhaps, perhaps we could have a little bit, but that's not what a lot of people are saying. They are talking specifically now. We want to get the police really out of the policing business by the sounds of it. And again, I go to this one. Let me read this again. This is the beginning of the process of putting together a police-free future, they vowed, by investing in more community initiatives like mental health and having community members respond to public safety issues. Let me say one thing before I go to the lines. 905-645-3221 or star 9900, if you have a thought on this one. A number of years ago in Hamilton, they did start something, and it's a good program, where they did have a social worker ride along. When there was a call for someone with a mental health issue, the social worker came along not by herself or himself, with a police officer. And you can understand why the police officer is still there, correct? Because I'm reasonably confident, reasonably confident that there are some people who are suffering mental health breakdowns who probably could be brought down or 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 calm down or whatever else by someone who is able to talk to them in a way that they are comfortable with others you're going to put a social worker on the front line unprotected that possibly this person who's going through something difficult or could be on drugs as a result or whatever else you're going to now tell some unarmed social worker at midnight or one in the morning in some tough area of town yeah you know what you go ahead and deal with that yeah that's 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 safe, right? That is that is wise thinking. This is why we have police. And look, I'm not arguing that police do everything right. But I am arguing that police more often than not go into the places we don't want to go and and deal with stuff that we don't want to deal with. Doesn't mean they do everything correctly. But I can, I can tell you with a high level of confidence that if suddenly there is a really bad area of town that's littered, that's addled with drugs and everything else, and there's an issue, and you say, I got an idea, let's have a community volunteer go and try and talk down this fight between two people. That's not going to be a popular thing for someone to do who's going in completely unarmed. You got to have a pretty high level of confidence in your negotiation skills to be able to do that. Dane has called in. Dane, how are you this evening? how are you doing? I'm great, thanks. What do you think about this idea of defunding the police? Uh, Well, I was just saying, like, it it seems kind of interesting that, uh, in the States anyways, how they're they're getting more of a movement towards anti-guns and everyone needs to be friends, everything like that. So they're giving up their Second Amendment right, but then Who's going to fill those shoes of somebody protecting you? Like all of a sudden, if you don't have a, a firearm in the States, who's going to provide that service for you? Because
1: criminals don't obey laws.
0: But Dane, you're being such a cynic. You're, you're being so cynical by suggesting that crime is not going to immediately stop because we get rid of the police. Well, I would I would imagine <laughs> that you get a big uptick, uh, uptick in crime then. Let me tell you something, by the way, I did read something today that there was a a, a town somewhere in New Jersey, I think that did get rid of their police department and people have pointed to this saying, see, you can defund the police. But if you read the story further, they got rid of their police department, but they were still being policed now by a much broader police department over the whole area. So there is no place that you can look at and say, yeah, they got rid of police and things are now a utopia because you're right, Dane something will fill a vacuum something has to fill a vacuum and if you suddenly tell the uh, tell people there's no police i'm not positive those people are suddenly going to say that means i'm always going to be on my best behavior
1: no no you would
0: you would imagine people are going to try to take advantage of that i would think dane listen i appreciate your call thanks so much for calling in have a great night thank
1: you uh
0: what do you think are you someone who says you know what no this is a good idea and and uh, i want to be clear I just pointed out an example where adding someone to do some things, like a social worker with a police officer, has some merit at times. But the idea of defunding the police—really, are, are, are you going to are, are you going to vote for that? Are you in favor of that? Keeping in mind that the first time you run into trouble, someone tries to break into your house, or you get assaulted, or something else, that that police won't be there. You're on your own, perhaps, or you call a social worker for help. Are you okay with that?
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: We are chatting about the idea that seems to be somehow, um, that it just, it blows me away that anybody takes this stuff seriously, but it is the idea of defunding the police. And over the weekend, the Minneapolis city hall or Minnesota, yeah, Minneapolis city hall has said, yeah, they are going to be voting to uh, dis- disassemble their police department. They ha- they don't know what they're going to do exactly yet. But they're getting rid of their police. They're going to have some new system, some new system, because clearly in the absence of a police department, everybody is going to decide I must now be on my best behavior because there's no police. And so I've got to be a good guy. I mean, to me, this idea of defunding the police is suggesting that you are a full 100% believer in the unwavering goodness of man, all men. That given the opportunity to show their maturity and their responsibility, all men, all women will always be on their best behavior. And we can create a police-free utopia where there's no crime, no violence, no killing, no threats, no nothing. All we have is people holding hands and singing Kumbaya at all times. I don't buy it. In fact, I think it's insane. I think it's nuts. And the first time something goes wrong, it's my opinion that the people who are screaming for this and they need a cop, they're going to be the ones screaming loudest when the cops don't show up at their door, my thought. Anyway, 905 645 star 9900. What do you think about the idea of defunding the police? Fred is up first. Fred, how are you?
2: Not bad, Scott. What do you think about this? I think it's a crazy idea because um, there's always going to be people going to cause trouble. It doesn't matter where you are. Now, these these police officers doing their job, they have a good day and a bad day, and they have good people and bad people. As you know, it doesn't matter where you work, there's always somebody. Now, I worked at Stalco for 32 years, and I was union steward. And we always had people come up and say this and that. And a lot of times, certain people would throw their color at me and say, oh, I can't get the job because of my color. I said, no, you can't do the job. That's why you didn't get it. And that's the way it is in society. It doesn't matter where you go today. So the police officer has had a tough job for a long time, Scott. It's just got worse now. It's really crazy what that guy did in the states, and uh, a lot of. But times- Fred,
0: yeah, Fred. Let me jump in, Fred. Let me jump in. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Uh, we got a lot of people waiting, so I'm going to jump. Yes, what the guy did in the states. I, I've watched the video. You've watched the video. We've all watched the video. I don't think anyone excuses that. But to somehow say, well, because of that and a, and some other cases. We can't have any police. We're going to have community helpers and social workers and a few other people going around. Good luck. Brian is with us now. Brian, how are you this evening?
3: I'm good, Scott. How are you? I'm
0: doing well, thank you. What do you think about the idea of defunding the police?
3: Well, I can just, I'm looking at this lineup of social workers that are lining up to take these
2: jobs. I mean, are you kidding me? Like, who in their right mind would want to go out in that situation without the protection of a police officer. But the whole thing stems from the fact that nobody wants, they've had enough of these police killings, correct? Yes. They don't want, okay, so how do you get rid of police killings? You get rid of the police. So the killings will go on as
3: they have been. It's just going to be done by other than police if they disband the police
1: department's
0: interesting so. point brian interesting idea i th- thank you for the call i got a lot of people lined up i thank you for the call it's a great point though i i don't yeah if you have the police out of the equation you're, brian's right the police may not be killing anybody but that doesn't mean that nobody is going to kill somebody Gord, Gord is up next on the line Gord, how are you this evening no Gord is gone michelle sorry michelle we're figuring this out on the fly michelle because ben's back at home office and i'm here michelle how are you tonight
2: Oh, hello. Um, Okay, so defunding the police. So it, in theory, does have merit. But I think that as a society, you're you're not listening to the right voices. So you have to listen to those who are at the bottom, who have these interactions, to hear their side of the stories, whether the social navigators with the police are helpful or not helpful. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? That you have I, I to do hear Mich- the people down here. And that's not what you're hearing.
0: Well, that's Michelle, I we- a couple things. Uh, first of all, I think that this like when there are programs with Hamilton Police right now where they do have a social worker that rides along with a cop, but the idea of sending a social worker out to a difficult situation in the middle of the night by herself. Uh, I'm with Brian. I don't see any social workers who are going to be lining up for that job, and I think that would be insane.
2: Okay, that's not what I'm hearing by defunding the police. That's what you're hearing. So everybody has their own reality of their perspective of life and where they're coming from. So you have to hear from those at the bottom. They're the ones with people with drug, drug addictions, mental health issues, to find out if the program existing today as it is, is helpful or not helpful.
0: And do you think, Michelle, that the police don't help those people at all? Do you think that the police are entirely unhelpful to the people at the bottom?
2: I'm not saying that. I'm saying that you have to hear from the people who are having the interactions, not everybody at the top. You have to hear what's going on, how they feel. It might be positive. It might be negative. But those are the voices you have to hear from.
0: Thank you, Michelle. I appreciate the call. Thanks for calling in. You're uh, it, and, and you know what? Michelle has a point. I don't dispute that. You want to hear from a lot of different people. But I also think that you are entitled to hear from people who like having police around because they don't want crime going unfettered. And I don't believe for a second. And I, I you know, send me a note if you disagree with me, radley at 900chml.com. I don't believe for a second that people are going to be lining up to work the midnight shift to go into tough areas of town and i also don't believe that the people at the bottom that michelle talks about i don't believe they are all anti-police or would feel better when the police are gone i think a lot of them like the fact that there are police out there to look after them as well it's not always perfect i'm not saying it's perfect but defund it come on
1: you're listening to the scott radley show podcast on 900 chml
0: Don Robertson of the Dundas Real McCoys, at least when they are playing hockey, that is, uh, owner of conchoice Choice Realty. Um, the guy whose face you see when you drive up from Dundas past the Tim Hortons there and head towards Hamilton, you see his face on a giant billboard. That's the guy. He joins us now. Don, how are you tonight?
3: I'm good, Scott. How are you? You're very I'm observant. I'm doing
0: well. well. Very observant. That's the, that's the biggest billboard in Dundas. It's hard to miss it.
3: Well, see the size of my melon. You can't put it on a small sign.
0: Well, I know. I thought that was a life-size billboard.
3: <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> is. So let, let me ask you this: so, so you had, yes. read three hundred pages Saturday of a book? Yes. Like I couldn't read three hundred pa- pages one day. My lips would get tired. Like, that's a lot of reading.
0: <laughs> well, you don't actually have to move your mouth while you're reading, just for the record. But well, that, well, that might help. You know, when we go away on holidays, Don, when we go away and if we're on a cruise or something, and especially on a cruise, because you're, you're lying on a chaise lounge chair and it's nice out, and you don't have to go anywhere. I'll blow through a book every day. Now, the only rule I have though, is when we go away, I ha- I do have a policy with books on vacation and that is most of the books that I would read, I, they have to offer me no enhanced mental acuity. They have to only be stupid enough that I've learned nothing. Just entertaining.
3: Well oh, you want something pretty light.
0: Light or just so, so unimportant. Like the uh, last time we went away, I read the the biography or the, the story of the band Kiss. You know what? Really, in the grand scheme of things, there is absolutely no reason that I'm going to need any of that for anything in my life. But it was great <laughs> to learn that the first time that... Gene Simmons was learning how to blow fire. He lit Paul Stanley's hair on fire and lit the roof, the roof or the ceiling of a ballroom they were in on fire. Had to get used to how to blow that fireball.
3: That is, nonetheless, that is that is the kind of reading you want, right? It's not you just not important, but it. Okay,
0: I'm not. I am not reading uh, medical journals while I'm lying on the deck. That's uh, that is for sure. Um, but yeah, this one, but the book in the quiz question today, uh, it falls somewhere in between those two things. And, uh, and this one, Red Rum the Innocent, um, it's pretty hefty. If you don't want to read it, it can hold down lots of papers. It's a heavy book. It's a good paperweight, but, uh, worth reading. <laughs> let me, uh, let me jump in. we got a bunch of stuff that, uh, that I want to get to. And this one, it, this is a, um, well, there's a couple of things with what's been going on over the last week. One of them is this, um, why do we, since it seems to be the, not the source, but a, a a flashpoint at sporting events these days, why do sports teams, why do sports leagues, why do we play the national anthem before games these days? Because, I mean, it's all about now, do you kneel for the anthem? Do you not kneel? It's, it's, it's a, a head-butting thing. Why do we still play the anthem?
3: I had a long conversation. I remember when I was refereeing, you know, you're standing at the center face-off the, back then, and you'd look around, and kids would be running around, and uh, the announcer would say, you know, stand if you're able, and please remove your hat, and some guys wouldn't take their hat off. And then I had a conversation with the Ontario Hockey Association about, I don't know, 18, 19 years ago, and said, I think we should get rid of it because I don't think it serves the purpose that it was intended to. And part of that purpose was to honor the soldiers who'd fought for the country and be patriotic and everything else. <clears throat> and I, I believe this even for national anthems in the National Hockey League, the NFL, and everything else. Now, the NFL don't play as many games, but I really think that our national anthem should be savored and saved for very special occasions because when you do it at sporting events somebody's getting a beer somebody's getting a hot dog everybody doesn't stop and that's wrong in my opinion so i think that that uh, that if they were going to do it right they do it before playoff games they would do it near remembrance day you know they would do it on special occasions and bring more meaning because i think the meaning leaves when it's done before a game and everybody's not paying attention that bothers me
0: well, yeah, in, in a lot of ways, the national anthem has just become a slightly more glorified version of Gary Glitter's Rock and Roll Part 2, that they play it every single game, you know, or 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 Stomp and Tom with the hockey song. I mean, you know it's going to be played, and so you sing along with it, and it to me, it's, uh, you know, I know this sounds horrible. It's not meant to, but it, in a lot of ways, it's not really any different because you're right. It's not like everybody in the arena stops and everybody stands at attention. I mean... Uh, some do, many do. For a playoff game, you know, the, the funny part is for a playoff game, I'm not even sure the reason they're singing the anthem so loud is because they're patriotic or more because they see it as a weapon to try and just show how loud people are.
3: Well, and and um, now the, the OHA in their defense, and that's the association under Hockey Canada, under which our jurisdiction is for the Real McCoys, they implemented a rule, and I, I like the rule. If they're going to play the anthem, I like the rule is that you the players stand on the blue line and if you leave the blue line before the end of the playing of the national anthem it's a 10 minute misconduct so at least now you have to stay like exactly where you have to stay standing for the entire anthem and when you look at playoff games the screaming and yelling starts you know a third or two-thirds of the way through it and the last third they're just cheering and carrying on i mean it's it's disrespectful if the national anthem means something to you. Well, yeah. And they, and, 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 and they should stop it. I think they should stop it and only play it on special occasions. Like like I said, remember to stay, you know, in and, and places where it has some meaning. So if you don't play it every game, somebody's going to, like, you know, at real McCoy games, you will you know, you're on the bench or looking around, and, and the older generation or Rimrod straight, and their hats are off and they're paying attention and the younger generation doesn't have the same affection for the national anthem. But if you play it during important times, you know, it's always played at Remembrance Day services and, you know, pick your spots, I think, to be more respect shown for it. And I agree with you. You don't want to categorize it in what's the, the hockey song song was, Stomp and Tom. Oh, my goodness.
0: Well, so w- what can you think of? I've only got one, maybe, well, that's not true. I, when I think of national anthems at games that are memorable to me, the unfortunate part is I can think of one national anthem that stands stands out as being unusually spectacular. And that was not even ours. That was Whitney Houston doing the star spangled banner before the super bowl between, I think it was the bills and the New York giants. Um, and it was during the Gulf war. And I mean, it was amazing. It was like goosebumps about how she didn't, I'm not even American, but it was her version was so good all the other national anthems that I can think of that really stand out. The reason I remember them is because they were so badly massacred, right? They became funny things. It was Carl, Roseanne Barr and Carl Lewis and the, the, the guy in, um, was it in Vancouver, the anthem singer who tried to do it on skates, skating around and he didn't see that the carpet was out on the ice and he took a header (laughs) while he was like that stuff. And it's like, well, we're not supposed to make a mockery of it. I mean, you you almost feel bad for laughing at it.
3: No, and some of the, and some of the renditions that people try and put their own spin on or mark on, and, and Whitney Houston didn't do that. But, you know, she did it. It was a fabulous version. I remember it. A lot, anybody that watched it remembered it. But think about it. It was after 9-11. It had tremendous meaning. In the middle of November in um, Winnipeg, and no disrespect to Winnipeg, the meaning isn't the end of November, uh, get away from uh, Remembrance Day. But unless there's some significance to it, I, I think it, it kind of bastardizes how we should view our national anthems, whether it's the U.S. or Canada.
2: Yeah, I'm with
3: you. I think there's more meaning. In you know what's rather cool is at the end of the Olympics, or it's the Olympics, yeah, like they, they play the national anthem of the winning team, and everybody's standing to attention, that seems to be a meaningful way to do it. Yep. yep. So when, when you get, when you get, and, and, and the NBA, and um, the NHL, or I think, was, well, and Major League Baseball, but I can't imagine that there's anybody in Houston paying a hell of a lot of attention to the Canadian National Anthem before the Raptors play. Uh, yeah, no, I, I,
0: and as I say, it sounds almost to me a lot of the times like it is. Um, it, it, it's not about singing the anthem. It's about singing something as loud as you can just to show how loud the fans are. And, and have you ever seen, uh, I don't know, you're probably not a British soccer fan. I'm not a huge British soccer fan, but there's parts of it that I find interesting. Liverpool, before every Liverpool game, they sing the Jerry and the Pacemaker song, You'll Never Walk Alone. It's like the team anthem and to me if you've never seen it go on youtube and watch there are some videos of it where you've got the entire arena the entire stadium jammed and the people are holding their scarves up over their head and singing it at the top of their lungs and i say okay you know what that's great that's great you've got a song that's your team song you can sing it at the top of your lungs you can get into the game it's got nothing to do with flags or patriotism or disagreements or kneeling or anything Now. Everybody is on board with this. Nobody's upset about it. To me, it's time, you know, come up with your own team song, make a tradition. Everybody can have their own team song in whatever sport you want. I mean, why not do, if you're at the Blue Jays game before the Blue Jays game and before an anthem, why not do okay, Blue Jays and have everyone sing along to that? I mean, it's, you know, it's a light, fluffy song, but what's what's wrong with that? And then everyone can be into it and no one's got an issue with
3: it. And then it doesn't matter if you got your hat on or if you're having a hot dog or buying a beer right? You're not disrespecting anything. Right, right. right? because it's uh, So nobody's sitting there looking at you like you got an eye in the middle of your forehead. I mean, I I have, I have tremendous respect for a national anthem and when they play it. I think you should stand up and I think you should be respectful. The problem is it's not, I mean, there's not 100% commitment to it and that disrespects it, hence my call and conversation with the OHA. Why don't we just get rid of it? But the problem is, whether it's with the OHA or anybody else, nobody wants to be the first guy to do it because there would be uproar. Can you believe that before, you know, the, the Hamilton Steelhawk game, Real mccoy game, they didn't play the national anthem? Do you think, honestly,
0: Don, that you think anybody would notice if they didn't do it now?
3: Sadly, and, and that, that's a great question, Scott, as always, but sadly, no, I don't think so. I so, think they'd be happy if they blow the whistle and, and play the hockey game or the football game or whatever else you're going to do. And you're right. If they're, Like at the Cat game, if there wasn't the playing of the national anthem and if you can't get everybody committed to being appropriate and standing with their hat off and everything else, then have Pigskin, Pigskin uh, Pete go to center field and do the Oski Wee Wee song. Start the game with that. Fire everybody up doing that.
0: And then the players are not standing around for 10 minutes getting cold because they don't, I mean, you cannot tell me that there is a player in sports, except in unbelievably rare circumstances that really looks forward to being out there for the anthem. They don't. They don't. Uh, You you don't have to stand there and wait for it. You don't have to bring someone. You don't have to lay the carpet out. You don't have to do all that stuff. Just start the game. I, I... and then as you mentioned on, there are moments like for, if the game is played on remembrance day or if it's Canada day, or if there's some other reason, if, if we're in a war or something and it's all, whatever, I mean, th- there's always exceptions, you can always bring it in for a special thing and then it matters. And then again, to me, it doesn't just become the, the thing you hear because I mean, to me, a national anthem should be more than just the because
3: song. That's right. It should, and, and, and then it brings the meaning back, and then everybody pays attention when they're doing it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, no, no. Right I'm,
3: in, I'm like, like we were uh, us and the Steelhawks were supposed to uh, uh, host the Allen Cup this year in April. Now to have the national anthem sang at the opening game of the Canadian Championship and the final game to me is the, is the appropriate time to do it. Sure, sure.
0: Yeah, but you don't have to do it. You guys were going to have three games a day. You guys were going to have three games a day with that tournament. You don't need to play it before every single game of the day. Any more than at school. You know, if you want to play it before every day at school, like I think some schools still do, I don't think you need to play it before every class. Um, And there are still places, not necessarily sports related, that I would say, I really believe it should still be every day. And one of those would be in the House of Commons. If you're the politicians who are, allegedly working for the betterment of our country and your uh, loyalty is to Canada yeah before every sitting of the House of Commons there should be this the, the old Canada but I you know why it has to be before any before every sporting event I, I still don't understand it and I I expect here's the other thing now that somehow we are at a time when there is even division about the anthem and the flag I think this will be the moment we do see something change. I I do think you're going to see it go away because I don't think, for example, I don't think the NFL is going to want to see all their players taking a knee during the anthem because they're going to have a group of their fans who think this is outrageous and so let's just eliminate the part of this that is divisive, which is the anthem and get in with the game and then we don't have to fight about this.
3: The NFL have backed themselves into quite a corner so that will be an interesting thing. I I can't fathom how now they dust the the national anthem before games to resolve an issue so nobody can take a knee holy crap
1: oh no imagine i i radio. absolutely think imagine no, I absolutely radio think. in
3: the states. i, I like well maybe uproar from every corner every conceivable corner
0: yeah like it's, for for it's, a week it's or it's two for a, a week or two for a week or two but i think that overall they would look at this and say we're going to not have to deal with this week after week after week and have a divisive thing. So we'll deal with bad publicity for the first week or maybe the second week, and then people will move on. And I think that would be what happened. And then once the NFL stops, which I really believe they will, I think you will then see baseball stop and basketball stop and the NHL stop. And then everyone will just say, well, then why are we doing it? And you will st- you may still see it at places like NASCAR where it's almost universally enjoyed that part of the thing, but I, I, I just don't see it lasting at these other places
1: you're listening to the scott radley show podcast on 900 chml
0: let me bring don robertson back into the conversation don is here every monday from seven till eight to talk about a bunch of stuff relating to sports sometimes directly sometimes a little more loosely um and don i think that probably falls into this next one you've never heard of this guy i'm quite sure many people have never heard of this guy person we're going to talk about is alexander katai who is a 29-year-old from Serbia who was a midfielder on the LA Galaxy, which is the soccer team that the TFC plays against in MLS. Anyway, last Friday, after his wife put some tweets online that were quite offensive about the protests and Black Lives Matter and that kind of thing, the team decided that um, they were going to get rid of Alexander. So they came to an agreement and got rid of the guy. And I'm looking at this thinking, what should, sp- I mean, uh, you know, we can extend this to all of society, what, what responsibility you should have for the words or actions of your spouse or sibling or parent or whatever else. But in this case, it's a team that decided that, um, this guy's wife was offensive and therefore we had to get rid of him to keep the team, you know, looking like we stand for something. What do you, what do you make of
3: that? Well, it, it it's an interesting um, interesting question i would generally speaking in all pro sports uh, contracts there's a morality clause which means you can't be an idiot and you can't say stupid stuff and you can't do stupid things or and you can't you know if you're you can't ski if you're a hockey player during hockey season you can't do this sport or that sport water ski So you can't bring harm to yourself and not us not be able to use you. I'm not familiar with any contracts and maybe they've changed and they may well have changed now with social media around where the wife has the player's wife has to be controlled. That's uh, seems to be cruel and unusual punishment. But that said, if it was David Beckham and a who's almost equally as famous, Got on twitter and said some inappropriate things that would be a different challenge i don't suspect the fellow that you just mentioned to me who i've never heard of before has a famous wife but i might be wrong it's a bit of a challenge and i think i think that pro sports teams have a fine line to walk in being politically correct in absolutely everything they do i think everybody's concerned about well what if i say this or you know the general manager's wife said this. The star players' wife said that. You know the day of maybe saying, "Could you stop that?" has gone to. I guess we got to get rid of the guy. I don't get it. I'm not understand that. But that well, that said, I don't know what she. I don't know what she said. If she said something <clears throat> and tagged him in it, that's absolutely totally off the charts and inappropriate. That's different.
0: She said things that were offensive, and that said he posted a four-paragraph apology on Instagram calling his wife's posts unacceptable, said, these views are not ones I share and are not tolerated in my family. And, you know, the the fact was there was a whole bunch of people who had come out, fans, I guess, of the team, screaming that they couldn't keep him anymore. And I'm looking at this going, the fact that we've not, that you and I, and probably 95% Dawn of people in North America have never heard of this guy, makes it probably quite easy for the team to, do this because they've just decided, you know what, we don't need the hassle, but what if this is, and and let me just, well, I won't even use names because what if this is the star player in the league? What if this is one of the all-time, well, the all big stars of whatever league you're in, the top five players in the league, and his wife or her husband says something that is offensive? Do Do you think that the team would still do this or would they say, you can't hold him responsible for her behavior or vice versa, especially after he apologized and says that's not his views.
3: You know, that's exactly the way it would be, Scott. It would be if it was the premier player on the team, they would find some way to wordsmith it around that it's not his words. It's only her. Um, You know, I, I always, uh, harken back to when Marty McSorley comp, I think, uh, uh, Donald Brescher on with his stick after he chased him around a little bit and they indefinitely suspended Marty McSorley who clearly was retiring at the end of the year. And I get think, you know, I, I said it at the time, the NHL are making a statement because it's a golden opportunity to nice Cayuga guy who was a tough guy, play with Gretzky and everything else. Let's make an example of him. And I said, you know what? If, if Mark Messier does that or one of the superstars in the league, now you've set the bar there. That's where the bar is. So be careful setting your bar when it's convenient to you because if something pops up that's not nearly as convenient or as easy to dismiss, now you've got to eat your words. Did you hear the commissioner of the NFL yesterday? Right, you have to. Or Friday, you have to eat your words, and you've got to be careful. So be careful who you use to set the example make sure it's not a guy that's a backup player and saying, nobody's going to miss him, nobody knows who he is, so we'll set an example, and then your star player's mother does something, you go, holy crap, now what do we do?
0: Yeah, I, I, I just don't know how you can hold someone else responsible for you, for your career even if it's a, a wife now if if he or she says something and you say yeah no I absolutely agree with that I think then that's a different story but my goodness you know again you mentioned he about how d- say that again he tried to bail out right he well he said it, that's hey, not that's my view he said that's not my views, and you, you're exactly right, Don, about different things for different people. I mean, go if you want to go look online, you could find highlights of especially in his younger years, he does it less now, Alex Ovechkin. As a young hockey player, there were a lot of times he would skate and just crunch guys into the boards, but he would jump before he did it, which is against the rules. And if it was not Alexander Ovechkin, who was a star, or Chris Pronger when he would do that stuff and get these almost nothing suspensions, if you're a big star, we'll find a way to find an explanation for why what you did doesn't really cross the line and doesn't really qualify for the kind of suspension that if you are just a grunt or if you're a you know, a, a tough guy with a history or whatever else that somehow when you do it, it's horrible when he does it. Well, you know, out of character, first time offense. The reason half of these guys are still working on their first offense is because they've never been suspended because the NHL or whatever league doesn't want to. So it's always
3: just waiting on their first offense. Whereas the tough yeah, guys get, a, to, get one right they,
0: away and now they're onto their fifth offense.
3: And now, and then they turn a blind eye. And you know what, all, you know, what goes back to, they can't afford the league can't afford to suspend their superstars. They can't afford to suspend Alex Ovechkin. They can't afford to suspend the elite players, but they can't afford to suspend the fourth-line players. And hence, that's the oxymoron or inequity of being able to provide discipline. And the leagues, you would think, would get more careful with it, but they don't. They're not a lot more careful with it. The the fourth-line guy is going to get hammered a lot more than Ovechkin or Crosby or McDavid. And, and, you know, you talk about suspensions, and we're talking about uh, it morphed into hockey again. But, you know, if you hit one of the superstars versus the fourth-line guy, this is, the hit is scrutinized far more. But back to the comments, I don't know if you can get rid – well, we've said if it's the best player, he's not gone. And if you're not the best player and you're a long way down a totem pole then you're gone so now they can look politically correct and hope and pray their premier player's wife doesn't say something silly
0: well you do you have it would seem and and i know they would work their way around it but boy you you're right you better hope that someone who's really a star that someone in their family doesn't get caught doing something because even though, as I say, they would work their way around it, I'm sure it is a lot tougher when there is some precedent. It's a lot tougher when there's some precedent. You can still, you know, say it'll be it'll be someone's son or someone's daughter who will do something. And they go, yeah, but it's not the same as his wife. I mean, you, you they'll find some reason. Oh,
3: sure, they wig a the lot of it.
0: And the flip side is, you know what? It's also, um, you know, there are certain things that you can say that are offensive, but that are not in the same um, they're not about the things that are hot button right now as much. So you can also say, well, look, this was, you know, this was a particular time in a place as opposed to whatever else. I, I just, you know, I find it, I found it fascinating, but I also found it really disconcerting that an athlete and, and I'm not even talking just an athlete. I'll, it, it happened to be an athlete, but that an that someone is now losing their job because someone else in their family said something that that's a that to me is a really dangerous path to start walking down
3: well and you said they came to an agreement so obviously they bought him out yeah they they bought him out but they also
0: probably made it very clear that he was not welcome back so here's your choice we're going to get rid of you or we're going to give you some money if you'll just go away
3: yeah in 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 the um with respect to trying to be politically correct in a turbulent time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Again, I I, I don't know. I mean, if you could read
3: me what she said, I might go, wow, that's a tough one to keep him around with, but I, I'm not sure what she said. So,
0: um, let's see here. Well, she, I mean, she called protesters, uh, disgusting cattle, um, a few other things here that I won't say, but I mean, look, it was, it was, it was taking shots at the people who were protesting and, um, you know, also you're talking about California, which is a very liberal state that is, uh, you know, your, your fan base is not going to be in support of this. I mean, like this to me is fine. Maybe, maybe, but again, I go back to my point point. I go back to my point. We're in a dangerous place, I think, when people who are not you, when you are paying for the words, you know, what's that old line about the sins of the father? Um, You know, when you're now paying for the words of other people in your family, I mean, that's, uh, you know, people who may agree with this decision might feel very differently if suddenly someone in their family said something that you have no control over. I
3: I can certainly relate to that
1: in my life, I can tell you. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We've
0: got a few minutes left with Don Robertson, as we do every Monday at this time. Don, they announced today uh, the U Sports, the governing body of uh, collegiate sports, of university sports in Canada, and then OUA Sports, so uh, Ontario Collegiate Sports, announced today that uh, all university sports in Ontario and across Canada, except in Quebec right now, but that'll probably change, is being canceled for the fall term. What what impact do you think, if any, does that have? Because this is this is something, this is a level of sports that is always trying to get traction, is always trying to get a foothold. Does this hurt? Does it not hurt? Does it is it neutral? What what does it do for that level of sports, do you think?
3: Well, it does, it does two things, not to um, steal Marvin Ryder's lines on CHML, but it does two things. First of all, the, the significance of some of the sports to the general population outside of the universities themselves will be negligible. But inside, there are people let's use Mac as a great example. <clears throat> their football football, volleyball program, a lot of their programs are elite. That's the reason a lot of athletes or students go there is because of athletics, the impact on those athletes and their families. There will be a number of families that will relocate their kids to pardon me, to Hamilton because of their sporting program and they probably could have stayed closer to the home, maybe lived at home. So the impact on them, I think it's devastating. They will lose if you plan on going to university for four years and playing four years of the sport. It kind of impacts it because the second year guy, the third year guy, you know, the sophomores and as, as you progress along, they're going to lose the season. And that may in fact be the why they, the reason they went to that university. So will the city of Hamilton be impacted because Mac doesn't have some of their uh, team sports carrying on this this, uh, this fall, probably not, but the impact on the general population of the university and more specific, specifically the athletes will last a lifetime, so it's important. Yeah. It's tragic. They, the, the,
0: the organizations, the leagues have said that the players are not going to lose a year of eligibility. So they, they, they don't necessarily lose it, but your point is still the same because to gain that year of eligibility back means you have to come back for another year of university. And unless you're someone who is thinking you're going to go pro somewhere, it's going to be a hard decision. Do I take a year out of my life to pay for university to come to play a sport when I'm not really even taking university courses anymore or maybe take one course? It's not it's not an easy decision. So you're right. There's going to be some athletes that have lost a year. And on the flip side, and you, br- you brought in another good point, the people who are coming in, So let's say for a second that a bunch of the athletes who are in their last year, the seniors, who now are not losing a year so they can come back for another year. Well, you've already got a group coming in this year of freshmen who aren't going to play. Now next year, you're going to have more recruits who come in as freshmen. So now you've got all these people below them with these roster spots that otherwise would have opened up because guys would have graduated or girls would have graduated. And now they're not. And so you're losing down the road, potentially a year of your playing time because that roster spot was gone for you. It's, it's impactful, but I'm with you. I, I don't know how much I'd like to believe that university sports have picked up enough that it makes a difference and that there was some momentum going and that people were starting to care. I, I'm, I think there may be in certain places, but I, I, I'm, I have a hard time arguing that this is somehow going to be widely devastating across the region. I don't see that.
3: over Over the years, we've had the conversation, and I, for the life of me, do not understand how Michigan, Michigan State, a whole bunch of U.S. colleges, can put eighty, a hundred thousand people in for a football game, and Mac Mac can't draw twenty thousand. They have a yeah. twenty thousand seat stadium. Now, if they could draw twenty thousand, they'd have a twenty thousand seat stadium, or they'd play at Tim Morton Field. That has always escaped me, the difference between the U.S.
0: Yeah, and Canada. There's a lot. There's a lot, Don. I got to go to a break here. There's a lot behind that, but yep. yeah, we—that's that, another discussion for another day, for sure.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
3: Don, you wanted to uh, to share something before we go? I, I do, Scott. I've been lucky enough in the last two weeks. I sold a place out in the fifth concession and got a great little note from a two-year-old. Thanks for helping us sell Mummy and Daddy's house and buy us a new one. And then this past weekend, Paul who's a regular listener to your show all week long, not just one I'm on, thank thank goodness. And we were were able to sell their place in short order under uh, tough times in the COVID life, right? But they were able to sell their place in two days. So it was great. And I just want to thank those people. And I love the business I'm in, and I love the real McCoys, and I appreciate being on your show.